in Acts chapter 8, verse 14. And now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they ha their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. I want to talk this morning about the fact that the message of Pentecost continues. Uh, last week we talked to you, and the week before, uh, about what happened at Pentecost in the life of Israel a uh, year in and year out for thousands of years. Uh, we talked about some of the prophetic books, Isaiah and Joel in particular, uh, that talked about the forthcoming of the baptism in uh, the Holy Spirit. And then last week we talked somewhat about uh, what happened on the Pentecost uh, 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, Pentecost changed forever. The event changed. Uh, the method behind it changed. The meaning behind it really took on a brand new meaning 50 days after Jesus uh, rose from the grave. Because the Bible said on that day when uh, while the crowds that had been celebrating uh, Pentecost for centuries, uh, they were in Jerusalem with an elaborate uh, uh, Passover gathering, an elaborate celebration that they had done for thousands of years. But Jesus had commanded 120 of his disciples to go into Jerusalem, into an upper room and wait there for the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Uh, while there was festivity in the street and celebration in the temple, the Lord had not told his disciples to celebrate. He told them to tarry. He didn't tell them to go and play. He told them to go and pray. And that's exactly what they did. And while they were in that upper room on the 50th day after the resurrection, the day of Pentecost was fully at its highlight. The Bible said there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they all were sitting, and tongues of fire set upon them, cloven tongues of fire set upon them, and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in power with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Those disciples went out, they were persecuted, but they went out through the known world of that day, preaching the gospel, souls were being saved, raising hands on the sick, and they were being healed, casting out devils, even raising the dead, and God continued to do great exploits uh, through them, not because of who they were, but because of whose they were and what he was doing in and through them in the hour that they were living. No doubt they remembered the words of Jesus before he was taken away. He said, the Holy Spirit's with you, but he shall be in you. And the works that I do shall you do, and greater works will you do, because I'm going back to my Father which is in heaven. They remembered that, and he fulfilled it. With that being said, the upper room event was just the first of a number of outpourings of the Holy Spirit that was recorded in the New Testament. Any Christian who had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit was looked upon as not yet measuring up to the standards of the church of that day. Jesus commanded them to receive the Holy Spirit baptism. It was not an option, rather it was a command. And because they, ex they received that experience, they did great exploits uh, for their Lord. Now in our text this morning, a Deacon Philip, did you get that? Not pastor, not preacher, not evangelist, but Deacon Philip, uh, the man full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, had gone into the city of Samaria, and he preached the gospel uh, with some fantastic results uh, that followed. Throughout the city, uh, people took favorable knowledge of the gospel that he preached, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
The news of that revival, the news of the evangelistic crusade uh, was noted in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, so the church at Jerusalem uh, sent up an apostolic delegation uh, to make sure those new converts heard all of the Word of God, the full gospel, if you will. And the apostolic delegation uh, was made up of Peter and of John. And they went and found out, yep, these guys are born again. So they prayerfully laid their hands upon them, and they too received the baptism in the Holy Spirit the same way that the 120 had received uh, there in the upper room. The visible results of the outpouring of the Spirit was upon them uh, because of what happened during that day. In Acts chapter 9, we see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. We know, if Bible readers know, uh, that Saul was a man who hated Christianity, and he hated Jesus of Christianity. He hated the church. As a matter of fact, he was an educated man. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he was circumcised the eighth day. He was a Jew upon a Jew, if you will, a, 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 a pure Jew, a royalty from the tribe of Benjamin. And yet we know that he was educated at the school of Gamaliel, which we know that that was, he had a PhD, if you will, in today's equivalent. And yet he went about persecuting the church. He would arrest people, incarcerate them, persecute them, and founded the joy when the Christians even died. And this wild man was heading into Damascus in order that he might do the same havoc upon the church there in that area. But as he was walking in there wild, if you will, uh, almost possessed in many respects, and yet the Bible said there was a light bright in the noonday sun that knocked him down to the ground. And while he was there, they heard a voice, saw. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? It's amazing. He must have known something about the one he was persecuting uh, to call him uh, the Lord. But yet while God was working on one end, he's working on the other. Uh, Saul was led into Damascus uh, as a little boy almost. He was blinded. He couldn't see. Uh, he was humbled very much so. And during that same time, uh, the Bible said, and Ananias went his way, entered into the house, put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you of the way as thou comest, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So I'm grateful that this barbarian, if you will, this Saul of Tarsus, all of a sudden became known as Paul, the great apostle. His life was transformed by being born again. And a nice called him Brother Saul. It's not enough just to be saved. He says, you've got to be full of the Holy Ghost of God and laid hands upon him, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, we know that later on the Apostle Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Where did Paul receive tongues? I submit to you, even though the Bible did not say he spoke with tongues, uh, right here when he received the Holy Spirit, I believe that he did. There is an argument from silence. Could it be that the early church understood that every time someone received the Holy Spirit of God, they spoke in tongues, and therefore it did not have to be reported at every incident when it happened? It would be like me simply saying, uh, there's clouds in the sky, and the rain fell from the sky. Two days later, uh, there's clouds in the sky, and rain began to fall upon the garden. Two days later, there's clouds in the sky, and rain began to fall. A week later, I say, and the rain came down. Can we not just by silence think, had to be clouds there? Yeah. And it's the same type principle. There are five times in the book of Acts that when they received the Holy Spirit, uh, five, uh, three times they uh, spoke in tongues, two times they didn't, but it was alluded to that they did. Whatever, Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Look at the city of Caesarea. 
So far in the biblical account, only those that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit were Jew or of Israelish background. Here we find now, about 10 years after Pentecost outpouring, an officer of the Roman army, the city of Caesarea, uh, would be, begin calling upon God with a devout and fervent faith, and God produced some remarkable, remarkable results within their life. We know that Peter was up on a rooftop uh, waiting. He was hungry, waiting for a meal to be prepared. And all of a sudden, Peter sees this vision of a sheep being lured uh, with all types of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, uh, creepy things, and the fowls of the air. And Peter heard a voice say, uh, Peter, rise and kill and eat. And he reminded the Lord, I'm kosher. I don't eat anything common. I don't eat anything unclean. I stay strict Jew, uh, the Jewish uh, 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 dietary rules. And the voice spake again, second time, what God hath cleansed, that call no common. As a result of the vision, God had prepared the heart of Peter for a radical step of faith to begin to deal with a particular people beyond his own national, beyond his racial, and beyond his uh, uh, religious boundaries to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a non-Jewish home where Cornelius, his family, his relatives, and his friends had been gathered. While Peter was preaching to them, telling them that Jesus could forgive their sin, and apparently they accepted him, before the sermon was over, the Holy Spirit fell on them at the beginning, the Bible said. At the beginning. The entire congregation began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Uh, the Bible said even the Jewish Christians had to admit that the Gentiles had received the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. The news of that outpouring upon Gentiles uh, spread like wildfire. It got back to the church in Jerusalem, uh, made up of Jews, and guess what? Rather than them being happy, they were somewhat discombobulated. Brothers and sisters, it's sometimes, sometimes difficult for one group of believers to accept the fact that God might grant the Pentecostal baptism to others who don't seem to measure up to our own so-called standard. Let me tell you something. No denomination owns the Holy Spirit. No denomination has bragging rights of the Holy Spirit. The Assemblies of God or other Pentecostal organizations, denominations, or movements, we do not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but I pray the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on us. Praise God. Let me tell you. The church in Jerusalem made up of Jews thought this is a private possession for Jews only, but nothing could have been further from the truth. Peter was required by the Jerusalem church, hey, you get down here, young man, and you tell us what happened. So Peter had to go play by play. I was on a thrift top. I had the vision. The Lord told me, showed me these animals, told me to eat them. I told him I'm kosher. I don't do that. And all of a sudden, here comes a man, uh, an Italian guy, a Roman soldier. Uh, he loved God. He gave alms. And, and, and they knocked at the door and said, what do we need to be saved? He said, this had to be God. And when I laid hands upon them and they received the Holy Spirit of God, you know what? Just like we did in the upper room. Who are we to question God? Who are we to fight God? And Peter remembered the words upon all flesh. Upon all flesh. Thank God there's a Jewish Pentecost. Thank God there was a, a Samaritan Pentecost. 
and there was a Gentile Pentecost. And thank God we are still today a Pentecostal people, not because of the doctrine particularly, but because of the experience that we have based upon our doctrine for the glory. Who in their right mind would want to fight God? Fast forward some 20 years after the original descent of the Holy Spirit in the upper room with 120 gathered. The Apostle Paul enters into Ephesus. There, 20 years after the Jerusalem Pentecost, he saw some Christians there that had a bit of deficiency within their spiritual upbringing. And the Apostle Paul asked, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they went, blah, 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 blah. we haven't even heard whether there be such a thing as the Holy Ghost. How are you baptized unto John's baptism? He confirmed that they were Christian. He knew that they were born again. But Paul said, look, if you're born again Christian, don't you want to obey what the Lord said? Yeah. And if you're born again Christian, don't you want anything he died for? Yeah. Then here's what you need to do. Be baptized in water. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He went, okay. And this they, by blind faith, they obeyed the words of Paul. They were baptized in water. He prayerfully laid hands upon them. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance, and they prophesied. The fact of the baptism in the Holy Spirit was accompanied by initial, external, physical, visible evidence is undeniable. In the upper room, crowds of unbelievers heard them speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, they only heard them, they all saw a difference in them. We read in the Word of God in Samaria, Simon saw it. At Caesarea, the companions and Peter heard it. At Ephesus, the men experienced it, and Paul heard them speak with other tongues and prophesy. What was there to see and hear? In the upper room, there was wind, and there was fire and speaking in tongues. At Caesarea, there was no sound of a rushing mighty wind, no cloven tongues of fire, but speaking in tongues only. But Peter declared the Holy Ghost had fallen on the household of Cornelius just as it was at the beginning. In Samaria, it was also again a supernatural utterance in tongues. It was evident that they'd received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When Simon the sorcerer saw the power of God come upon those people, Simon said, hey, I will pay you all money if you will give me the power to lay hands upon people that they might receive the Holy Spirit. He saw something. He heard something yeah. that caused him to say, I want to do what you all did. And I believe it's something like Peter said, you know, we don't have the power to do any of this. And Peter went on to say, thou hast neither part nor lot in the matter, for your heart's not right in the sight of God. Even though Simon's motives were wrong, Simon saw something of the supernatural power of God at work in those people. Amen. At Ephesus, they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. And Paul had no need to repeat the question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They were talking in tongues. He had personally seen, he had personally heard the evidence of speaking in tongues. Again, proof of a Pentecostal experience. Now eventually, or evidently, God had caused these instances of Pentecostal outpouring to be recorded so people would say, this is what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit baptism. But there are some people that will not allow the instances of God's Word to prove anything to them. If we would have had hundreds of illustrations, there would still be those in the Christian community that says, I don't believe that's of God. It, 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 it bugs me today where people can read the Word of God and see what it says and they go, that's of the devil. And I've said it many times. If the Holy Ghost baptism and speaking in tongues it was of the devil, why did we not receive it before we got saved? Come on. 
This promise is unto you and to your children, to the many that are far off, even to as many as the Lord thy God shall call, so says the word of God. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. God has provided ample evidence that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for us, and that will always be accompanied by speaking of the tongues. The fact remains, when a believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit, he speaks with tongues. Pastor, why tongues and not something else? Why tongues? Paul pictures the body of Christ as that as a body, does he not? Made up of many members. Could a body be considered complete without a tongue? James teaches us that the tongue is one of the most unruly members that we have, almost fearful as being untamed by man. Does not God then claim our tongue at our individual Pentecost, knowing that if and when we have yielded our tongue to him, the last member of the body to be subdued and consecrated before God? Does that make sense? Why the tongue? How many of you know this hole underneath your mouth, underneath your nose, gets you in trouble all the time? Amen. It's hard to yield this thing, is it not? I bite mine once in a while. And some people say, my problem is I think out loud too much. I mean, what's on my mind, I just usually say it. And the older I get, probably the worse I am. But, you know, there you go. How many have that problem? How many wish you had that problem? <laughs> But the tongue, we yielded. And it could be that we said, okay, we have yielded our mind, our body. We've yielded all to God. And the tongue, it speaks what God says. Mysteries in the spirit. He has us at last. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we can't make mistakes. Doesn't mean we can't sin. It just means we've learned to yield it all unto him. Now, some people are so scared of tongues. It seems to push them away from the Holy Spirit baptism rather than move them forward. Some people say, Lord, I want the Pentecostal experience. I want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. I want the power of Pentecost. I want to do great exploits. I want to be baptized. But please leave the tongue out of it. Beloved, it don't work that way. Paul said, I would that you all speak with tongues. Paul said, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. And finally he said, wherefore, brethren, covet to prophecy and forbid not to speak with tongues. May I tell you something? I believe it's important today that we be baptized in the Spirit and speak in tongues. And I believe we need to pray in the Spirit more today than we've ever prayed before in our life. When you and I are praying in the Spirit, I don't know what I'm telling God. But you know what else? The devil don't either. And there have been times I've gone before the Lord and I begin to pray in tongues. And it may sound like gibberish to you. And the devil said, you just cursed. Have you ever, ever done that? You've been praying in tongues the devil said, you cursed? Anybody besides me? Don't think I did, but that comes to the mind once in a while. You know why? Because the mind is battling with the Spirit. And if you and I would just learn to pray in the Spirit, and once we prime that pump, man, you might be spending 15, 20 minutes, 30 an hour. You might be spending time going, where'd the time go? And you don't know what you said, but there's a peace of God that's flooding your heart. Uh, there's a joy in the Lord you didn't have for you. You went there. There's an assurance that your Spirit has touched the Spirit of God upon the throne. And some way, somehow, everything going to be all right because the God of glory has infiltrated your soul and good things are on the way. It's important to pray in the Holy Spirit of God. Well, what is the purpose of Pentecost? I'll tell you one thing. It's not so you can just speak in tongues. 
Speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one of the main reasons that many people fail to receive the Holy Spirit is they have the wrong purpose of Pentecost. When you and I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We do not receive the gift of tongues. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues. But now that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we can now be used in the gift of tongues. We can be used in the gift of interpretation. We can be used in the gift of prophecy and all the 12 charismatic gifts that are there. Nine rather, not 12. All the nine charismatic, nine of them. I'll tell you something else. Before we talk about what the purpose of Pentecost is, let's talk about what it's not. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an achievement to brag about. It's not a trophy to put on public display. It's not a toy to play with. It's not a treasure to put in a showcase as if to say, I'm more spiritual than you are. My river goes deeper than yours. You're second rate, I'm first rate. That's not what it's all about. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a stepping stone to an official position. It's not opening up a door to some other position in ministry. It's not a gold key that unlocks a door to some lofty position in the church or in business or whatever. It's not a magical formula. It's not a cure-all for the spiritual woes of your life. It's not even a guarantee against lukewarmness. It's not even a guarantee against backsliding. Quite the contrary, receiving the Holy Spirit may bring you more battles, may bring you more enemies, may bring you more struggles, may bring you more trouble than you've ever imagined, but friend, it's worth every minute of it. <laughs> I said it's worth every minute of it. And everything you get out of it. Receiving the Holy Spirit baptism is not some climax to the Christian experience. It's not the ultimate goal. It's not the objective, if you will, of a spiritual endeavor. I, I've arrived. Attitude is not what it's all about. And friend, it's not say to, it's to say, I have the Holy Spirit as much as say, does the Holy Spirit have me? Amen. The problem in Pentecostal believers and charismatic believers is too many of us are trying to live off the initial baptism of the Spirit that we had days ago, weeks ago, months ago, or years ago, and we say we're Pentecostal in doctrine, but are we really in practice? He said, stay full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not just a one-time account. There'll never be another cross that Jesus dies on. His blood still works. There'll never be another Pentecost as the initial one, but the power is still being poured out. Amen. But I have got to go daily and ask God to wash me in his blood. Amen. And I want to go daily and get another spout where the power of God is still being poured out. And you can say, I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Well, you may have been 10 years ago, but if you're still not drinking her in, Bubba, you're not full of the Holy Ghost today. I had chicken two weeks ago. That bad boy gone. And in order to be full of chicken today, I got to eat more chicken. Yeah. And to be full of the Spirit of God, we got to continue to drink and drink and bask in His presence until the glory is boiling over. It's not do I have the Holy Spirit as much as the Holy Spirit have me. Amen. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an endowment with power from on high. It's the divine enablement to witness for Jesus Christ. As such, we're not spectators. We're not bystanders, but we boldly and we actively participate in telling people about who Jesus Christ really is. It's about the harvest. And also, the Pentecostal baptism in the Holy Spirit opens up the door to be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God. 
May I remind you, we're candidates to be used of God. Amen. It's simple in the doom of the power. It's not an end, it's a means. Someone said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the threshold over which one passes into a life of godly usefulness. It's the introduction to a mighty personal ministry with divine credentials. The Bible said, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. It's like we enter, we, we're in a beautiful room at salvation, gorgeous. But we enter in through a door into another room, more grandeur, more gorgeous, more exciting than the one we just left out of. We have potential of moving from the ordinary to the extraordinary, from the usual to the unusual, from the natural to the supernatural. You couldn't heal a fly if it had a headache. But with the power of God working through us, it's amazing what God will desire to do. Tongues, however, is not the purpose of receiving the Holy Spirit. The purpose is that we might be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. And once you're baptized in the Spirit, you're a candidate to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. All nine gifts of the Spirit reside in the Holy Spirit, and He lets them be manifested as He wills. It says, covenant earnestly the best gift. What is the best gift? My opinion, the one you need right now. Amen. Let me say it again. When you receive the, when you, when you are born again, it is the Holy Spirit that baptizes us into the body of Christ. We become a born again believer. Jesus Christ is in the back right hand of God the Father. He said, the Spirit's with you, but it shall be in you. It's Jesus Christ who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift of, of the Holy Spirit just like we receive the gift of salvation. But now that the Holy Spirit is in us, we will speak with tongues. That's not the gift of tongues. We will speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance to confirm that we indeed have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's many evidence, but the initial physical evidence is speaking in tongues. But now that we're baptized in the Spirit, we can be used in the gift of spirit, one which is the gift of tongues. It's the same type tongue we receive at salvation, but it's different in scope and in use. So now inside of me as a spirit believer, in spite of you as a spirit believer, there are the gifts of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy to edify the body of Christ. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits, working of miracles, the gifts of healings, and the gift of faith all resides. We sit on a powerhouse. There's dynamite inside of us in the Holy Spirit. There's wisdom. There's boldness. It's inside. And yet we, we, we just don't carry it around. You know, you ever seen people back in the Western days on, on Westerns, and they, they get the nitroglycerin, and they'd pay them all this money to carry the nitro. And I mean, you, you know, you've seen, the, rent an old movie and watch this, and it'll make sense. And, and they, they put the nitroglycerin in these wagon hip holes, and oh, they're going to blow up anyone. Oh, and then all of a sudden, you, you see a wagon go across the end. Boom! They hit a pothole and blew them up. You know what? We got that same type of spiritual energy in us. Yeah. If we would just let the Holy Ghost be yielded through us, it's a sight what we could accomplish for the glory of God. Amen. The world at its worst needs us at our best. Yes, yes. I looked this morning on the internet, a, a missionary in Spain. They're in a little, little village called Grenada or something. I can't remember what it is. But they said 1% of Spanish people are Christians. 1%. I've gone to Spain with a crowd about seven or eight times. 
Been to Romania seven times and around the world. And everywhere I go, I see people that are religious but know nothing about Jesus. And I'm saying to myself, God, with all of our missionaries, with all of our churches, why is Islam growing when they're serving a dead God and churches are dying as we serve a living one? I've yet to figure that one out. So I'm saying, God, if we can go to Spain and Romania and America and just let you be turned loose in us, and we do the same thing, allow you to do the same thing in us that you allowed to do the early church in the book of Acts. They came in and shook nations. They came in and saved communities. They didn't care if they went into hell with a half-loaded water pistol. They went in the name of Jesus and results took place. May God turn the Holy Ghost loose in us that we may do great exploits for our God today. The baptism of the Spirit is a miraculous mantle of a risen Christ, the promise of Christ, and the fulfillment of His Word to His church. He passed the baton on to us. He said, the works I do, you're going to do, and greater works. And Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, the receiving of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. At the conclusion of his ministry, Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you, as the Father has sent me, so send I you unto them. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. They were born again. And then he sent them to the upper room, and he said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until, until, until you be endued with power from on high. There it is, friend, in black and white. Go forth with the very miracle-working power of Jesus working in us, through us, and among us in this last day. We all need to do great exploits for our God. Amen. You may not have a theological education. It doesn't matter. You may even have a third-grade education. It doesn't matter. You may feel like you are a Barney Fife in an Andy Griffith world. It don't matter. You may feel like that you're a nobody. It doesn't matter. But if you are born again and spirit filled, you matter. Amen. You matter. Amen. And the reason you matter is because God can do things to you. Don't be limited by what man says you can't do. Take the limits off of God and do what he said you ought to be doing. Yeah. Don't look to your pastor and don't look to your board. Don't look to your church building. Get outside this church before the Spirit of God and let him do great exploits for you. You begin to open your mouth and believe God to confirm it. He'll confirm it with signs following. What if I make a mistake? We're making mistakes by not doing nothing. Amen. And more mistakes come from not doing nothing than from doing something. You're going to make mistakes in life. If we don't make mistakes, we're not doing nothing. Right. Pentecost is not a denomination. Pentecost is a way of life. Pentecost is not just an elaborate celebration for the Jews once a year. Pentecost brought something brand new to the church after Christ rose from the grave. Would you stand with me this morning? We can't really do altar calls as we did in the COVID days, but I want to encourage you. Go home. Get alone with God. And say, Lord, just as I accepted your gift of salvation... I desire to accept your gift of the Holy Spirit. He said he would baptize, he would pour out, and he would give. If you and I would place ourselves in a position and we do the possible, he'll always do the impossible. For us.